0: Hi, welcome to Under the Lights. At Player Recognition, we set out on a daily basis to provide equal recruiting opportunities for thousands of talented student-athletes that do not receive the recognition and recruiting opportunities that they deserve. Each episode will bring you conversations with players and coaches and give you an in-depth and behind-the-scenes view of the Canadian athletic recruiting landscape along with tips and tricks on how to get to the next level. I'm Brett Miznev, co-founder of Player Recognition, and today we have on the founder of the QB movement and co-founder of First Team Training, Miles Gibbon. Miles sits down and talks recruiting, role models, master's degrees, perfect mechanics, and the difference between here and down south. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to episode two of Under the Lights, presented by Player Recognition. Today, we're here with Miles Gibbon from the QB movement. And first team, Miles, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So uh, we like to start off. We like to go, um, We, you know, we like to dive into how our guests got to where they are today. So take us back to... Uh, where you first started with football and uh, kind of the journey it's taken you on.
1: Okay. Uh, It's been something that's pretty much been involved my entire life. I started when I was seven years old, uh, born and raised here just outside of Montreal, played for local Chamonix Blues my entire life, went to the West Island, played a little bit there, Uh, went to Vanier College, where you're pretty familiar with. Yes, sir. Uh, Played there for three years, won two Bulldoors, a bunch of little accolades here and there. Luckily enough, uh, from there I was able to go to the University of South Alabama on a full scholarship. Played there for three years, uh, Division One in the Sun Belt. Once I was finished there, graduated three years in uh, with my bachelor's of psychology. From there, I transferred to York University in Toronto. Played two years there, got my master's degree in kinesiology, studying the development of quarterbacks. Uh, I had the opportunity to go to the CFL Combine. Was a great experience. Unlucky for me, as it does with most Canadian quarterbacks, I wasn't drafted, wasn't picked up, had a few tryouts here and there, but nothing really came from it. From that, I right away, I knew I wanted to start coaching. I started training quarterbacks in Toronto. I developed the brand, the QB movement. From there, I moved to Ottawa. I trained there for a year. I had about five to 10 quarterbacks under under me over there. Um, After a year there, I then moved back to Montreal, where I've been for almost three years now. uh, And I built just Built it up from there, and now, uh, you know, we're sitting in our gym. Uh, it's blown up, it's been very successful, it's been very fun so far. And uh, at the moment, training uh, roughly 50 quarterbacks, so it's uh, it's, it's a dream come true.
0: I want to go back to not all the people know this about you, but I want you to talk about your master's degree and uh, the thesis you wrote. And um, if you could just kind of explain how a master's works in Canada, I know a lot of people don't know how that works, a lot of kids coming up, so explain that, and then also explain. Um, your thesis that you wrote? Because not a lot of people know that about you, but it's one of the, it's one of the coolest things yeah. uh, about you.
1: Unfortunately, it's, it's, it's a lot of things people don't know about. And to be honest, I didn't know much about it either. It was a situation that was kind of thrown upon me that I had to take advantage of. Um, when, once you finish your, your bachelor's degree, if you want to continue to play football, you have to be in graduate school. You can't, you can't start another degree. You have to kind of go into the next level of education. Um, a lot of guys take this for granted cause they're just playing football. I did in my, my first year. Um, so I was lucky enough to be surrounded by people that encouraged me to really finish and really go through with the masters. Cause like, like me, like every kid, you know, my, my dreams were like, I'm going to go pro. I'm going to play pro. Uh, screw you. I don't, I don't need the school. I don't got to finish. I'm going to go pro. And obviously that doesn't happen for most of us. So, um, I was in a position where I could continue furthering my education and I took advantage of it. I wrote my, uh, I wrote my thesis on, uh, basically the combine, you know, a lot of what you guys are involved in and how we predict future talent in collegiate quarterbacks using the NFL combine. Uh, one thing that I noticed when I was taking part in the combine was that it had nothing really to do with my ability to play quarterback. Um, I, I knew for the rest of my life, I was going to deal with quarterbacks, but there was nothing that was really testing quarterbacks at the combine. They they were looking at how fast I was, you know, how quick my feet were, and basically what that turned into was them offering me jobs as a receiver, which is something I didn't want to do. Uh, so within my master's degree, I, I basically debunked the whole the the combine for quarterbacks, how it might be effective for other positions, but for the quarterback position, it really does nothing for us. You know, when when it comes to quarterbacks, we have to start looking at you know decision making, pattern recognition, leadership, you know, anticipation skills, things like that that you can't test on a field with lasers or you know stopwatches so that's where i went with with my thesis uh it it turned out very successful i I had talks with the cfl and, and a lot of other uh professors professors and supervisors about it um i had a great time doing it i learned a lot about not only what i do now but how we should be adapting and changing the position in the future and uh i use it pretty much every day here with my kids how would that like how does it translate for you um with the kids now well, basically, I can tell them what I've learned. You know, I one, uh, just my path, making sure that they are staying in school and that they're focusing 100% on school before anything else. And taking it from that point and moving it to where I explain to my guys that it's not just how strong you can throw a football, you know, how fast your feet are, how how well you move in the pocket, but it's also pre-snap, you know, recognizing the pattern of a defense. is the same thing like recognizing numbers or patterns of lights on a wall. It's the same thing. The faster you can you can adapt to that pattern and make a decision, the faster you're going to be on the field. So I, I use it pretty much every day, whether it's through our fit lights, whether it's through, um, you know, making decisions as we slide through the pocket. There's, there's a lot of different ways we use it, but it's making sure that we're using our mind just as much as, as our physical attributes.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to go back to when you first came up with the QB movement and um, kind of because the way I found you uh, when I was a young quarterback was I found you on Instagram. So when did uh, kind of the idea of the QB movement uh, start to take shape and where did you draw inspiration from?
1: So... It, it's a funny story. As I was finishing, as I, you know, I did the CFL combine, the draft came through. I wasn't drafted. Um, you know, I was finishing my master's, and then it starts to think like reality what are you going to do? What do you want to do? And after doing my thesis and, you know, being involved with the position, I was like, I would love to, you know, start coaching, maybe a QB coach for a school, somewhere like that, just so I can maybe try and help give back a little bit. Um, I started in. While I was in Toronto, uh, Bob Rainford, he was my kind of quarterback, my, my quarterback, my mentor down there. He was helping me through my final year. Old school guy. Um, you know, he was in the the meeting rooms with Brett Favre back in the day. He he helped the 49ers. He, he kind of went around the NFL a bit. And he was helping out at camps and training the kids. And he asked me to come help. And I you know I went out and helped him a little bit. And then I asked him, I was like, coach, like, what else do you do? And he's like, this is what I do. And I was like, so you make like this is where you make your money. And he's like, yeah, he's like, it's if you know what you're doing, you can make you can make a living off this. And that's kind of when it, you know, it kind of blew up in my mind. Um, it was kind of right around Instagram blowing up. So like it was literally like I had a QB movement account at the same time. I had like a regular Instagram account. What year was this? Uh, it was my last year. So I had to be two thousand well 2013 we're talking so like early instagram yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. early early days of instagram and you know i just i built the page i, I kind of came up with with the the name of the qb movement cuz you know i wanted it to be a new movement you know like it, it's not this is an old wave. school a yeah. new wave of just quarterback teaching you know going at it at a different angle than most old school guys are doing it uh coach rainford was amazing at what he did but he was old school. So I was like, I want to take what he does, make a little twist on it, bring it back to, you know, our day and age of, you know, how we're playing the position now and start adapting new things, you know, cognitively, uh, you know, how we move just a little bit differently from what they were doing back in the day.
0: And now from the QB movement, now we're here in this incredible facility at Pro Montreal. First team, talk us through uh, the philosophy behind that and how um, the link between the QB movement and the first team kind of came together.
1: Yeah, it's... uh, it's it's been a dream come true. Uh, I was playing uh, semi pro football here in Laval. Uh, two of my teammates, Yohan Miron and Jamal Henry, they're both receivers. They're both great coaches. They they love the game just as much as I do. And we were just sitting around one day, and you know they saw what I was doing. The QB movement was already you know doing pretty well. It was it was it was blowing up a little bit. And they said, you know what? Can we do a camp? Let's do a camp. You know we'll bring some receivers, some quarterbacks. And I was like, sure, why not? Like I know you guys know what you're talking about. Let's let's do it. And then from there, I was like, okay, well let's. You know what are we gonna call this camp and i came up with the idea. i was like well why don't we call it first team and they're like what does that mean and if you've ever played down south and it's something you hear all the time it's it's not like starters and backups there's the first team there's a second team there's a third team there's practice roster okay. so down south when you heard first team up it meant the starters were up so i was like well, why don't we just call it first team so you know everybody comes in here with the mentality of we're going to help you become the starters on your team uh they, they, they liked it right from there. Within two weeks, we ran our first camp. It was kind of, we were kind of just winging it. Uh, we ran our first camp, had about 80 kids come out from that point on, uh, my partner, Yoan came to pro gym. He ended up getting a job here as one of the managers for the gym and then started talking to the owners and, you know, convinced them, Hey, like, why don't we put a turf in the back? We'll run it. We'll do all our things. We, you know, we'll, you know, we'll be part of this. We'll, we'll we'll ingrain athletics and performance into a gym where it was mainly focused on bodybuilding and muscle, you know, muscle, muscle guys all over the place. And uh, since that point, it, it's just it's just been continuously growing. You know, right now uh, it's low key, but, you know, we're we're even thinking about me building a dome in the back. So we have our own dome. Really? You know, and yeah. yeah. we're
0: talking like, we're talking, we talking
1: a full dome or like, we're, we're talking like a 60 yard dome. Okay. Uh, you know, it's, it's awesome. We just announced today we partnered with the Alouettes. So uh, we have the Montreal Alouettes who train here in our facility on a regular day basis. So, you know, with them having a dome in the back, you know, it's somewhere we we can specifically have it just for football. I mean, it's just it's an underthought right now, but who knows in a few years what's gonna happen? Yeah, big plans, but big yeah, plans. big plans, big plans. How does
0: it work for the kids coming in? Like, uh, do they get a membership at Pro Gym, or is that all through First Team? Is there like a set? Uh, uh it's set it's schedule
1: we, yeah so uh obviously it is a gym uh our kids come through they have a special membership rate through first team because you know they're they're not spending their time in the the weight area they're yeah. in our they're in our zone uh so they do have a membership to the gym which they can use all year it's great access for them so they can come in train wherever they want and then either through me it's i have my specific quarterback program that we run all winter spring and summer uh Yoan and jamal both have speed training receiver training agility training uh track combine prep all that kind of stuff too so so it's, it's basically it's a one-stop shop for kids to come in and work on everything they need my quarterbacks do speed training my quarterbacks do combine prep my quarterbacks do diet and nutrition all in the same spot so
0: really eh? yeah that's awesome now this is a recruiting podcast and um you know you're one of the rare people who have kind of been through like the entire cycle of recruiting so we're talking high school Sejep, uh NCAA D1 and now CIS so I just kind of want uh, you to bring us through kind of what the process looks like um, on your end and what you can kind of give advice to for, uh, we're talking grade eight, grade nine kid coming up, what, uh, what to get ready for and um, what to really hound down on for the next couple of years coming up. Yeah, it's,
1: uh, and every, every coach has said this a million times, every kid's heard it a million times, it's, it's school, it's education. At the end of the day, if you if your grades aren't good, there's 10 other kids who are just like you. If you're not ready, they'll find someone else. Um, You know, obviously in Canada, it's starting to get bigger, it's starting to grow, but as good as we are here, there's, you know, those kids in Texas, Florida, you know, they're still balling. They're still making plays. So for us to get down there, you better make sure your grades are good. If your grades are not good, just, just forget about it. Stay here, focus on your grades, especially from a young age, because You got to understand our education system is very different from down there. If you're not taking the proper courses now, especially in CJP, they will not transfer over to the United States. And if they don't transfer over and you don't have the credits, you will have to redo classes here that translate for down south. And that's why I I tell all my guys, if you do not have an academic advisor now, get one. If you don't have someone helping you through the clearinghouse, which we just signed a partnership with someone who does this. She's a consultant for the NCAA. If you do not have someone helping you through, you will not make it. With Between SATs and, and credit transfers and making sure you're eligible to get through, it's a very hard thing to do by yourself. So if you're not educated, and the reality is most coaches here aren't educated. I, I barely still know what what the process is because I will go through someone who does it's it's like like you were saying before it it's this isn't just a run of the mill you know system where you know whatever happens happens no this is a the NCAA very, yeah the NCAA yeah. this is this is real like this is real they they can ruin you and they can make you just because of one little credit so if you're not doing the right things you you will you will fail
0: what would it look like coming from a Quebec student in high school going to SageUp Rep- And kind of what was your experience with that? And what ultimately made you uh, choose to go to Vanya? So me,
1: back in the day, the, you know, if you're going to play football, if you're English, you're going to Vanya. I didn't have much of a choice. Like, I didn't want to go out to Lenoxville. I was going to stay. Yeah, like like if you want to stay in the city. If you're going to stay in the city, like, obviously, you're going to pick whatever school you want to go to. Now the recruiting wars are getting bigger and bigger because the the talent's just crazy here now. Um, But once you do get into CJEP, it's understanding that, you can play two years, you can play three years. You want to get out. If your goal is to get to the NCAAs, you got to try and get out as fast as you can. So when you the second you get into CJEP, you should already if your goals, your aspirations, whether whether you have the talent or not, you might have the talent in two years. Unfortunately, for me, when I started CJEP, I had zero, zero inclination that I was gonna go down south. That wasn't even really it wasn't, that wasn't, it wasn't even t- in your mind. Not my dad wasn't talking about it, my parents were talking, nobody was talking about it. My first year CJP, I didn't play. My second year, I kind of blew up. I had a great season. I was surrounded by probably one of the best teams I've ever seen in CJ football. Um, and from that year, the the ball started kind of started rolling a little bit. And in that second year, the thoughts were there, but not really. And then finally, my as towards the end of that second year, beginning of the third year, that's when schools started gaining interest. And by that time, I was already too late. So that's when I got my academic advisor. That's when I started talking to the school. Um, and I had to repeat like three courses in the summer just because the credits did not transfer over. So okay. I was stuck summer. You know, all my boys are outside. I was getting ready. I had offers on the table and I'm in the class doing chemistry, advanced statistics and uh, uh, an English class just so I could catch up. All classes I did, I thought I did in high school, but I had to redo because i the credits did not transfer over. So making sure that you you are set up for success
0: the first day you step onto CJ. Did you did you graduate with a deck? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you didn't because I know um, I know if you get 12 credits in your first year that technically counts as a grade 12. But does yeah. that translate to the NCAA? That that's one of those questions. I'm not even sure. You don't sure. know. I'm not yeah. sure. That's one no, of the things. I, no, because yeah. I know it works for like if you want to go to certain. I know it works for out of province universities sometimes. Okay. Some cuz that cuz that somehow can't well it'll count as your grade 12. That's but that that doesn't and, change.
1: And I'm telling you now like I just had the conversation mm-hmm. with her is the the clearinghouse is evolving every year. Okay. As more and more Canadians are coming through, they are changing the way they do things. Like I was talking with her her name's Holly, she's an amazing woman. She was telling me that, you know, th- your process through the clearinghouse it was not the same. And as it way, is now. As it is now. Okay. It's, it's a completely different game because she told me the, the amount of Quebec athletes that are going through, regardless of sport, yep. is increasing big time. Mm-hmm. So she said, like, you know, she has her own consulting firm where she does this because that she knows how many Quebec students are coming through, and she wants to help make sure they're doing it properly.
0: Okay. Um, what was it like uh, going from Sage uh 2D1? Was that, like, was, like were you... Um the biggest you, transformation in my life. Okay, so was it? Yeah. So was it overwhelming? Um, what was it like moving to South Alabama, to Mobile, Alabama? What was that transition like for a twenty-year-old kid?
1: It was. It was the defining moment where I realized how differently they play the game down there. Okay. You know, here CJ. Obviously, it's changed now. I'm talking about like when I was there. You know, I wasn't hitting the gym until my second, like midway through my second year of CJ. Like I wasn't in the gym. You know, I was 165 pounds. With an offer to go down south, by the time I got there, within three months, I was two hundred five pounds. So I gained an insane amount of weight just because we were training properly. I was eating properly. We were training every single day. You know, five o'clock in the morning, getting ready for class, going to you know uh, the workouts, then you know study hall, then to class, then back in for meetings, then to study hall. You know, it it just never stopped. Which is a culture I think we're starting to build. This here.
0: was when you were down south. Yes. Okay. So okay. transitioning okay.
1: through. So when I was in CJ, you know, we weren't really doing anything. Uh, you know, we were told to go to the gym, but we didn't have a strength coach. Uh, we were told to do running. We didn't have a speed coach. So we were told to do all these things, but we didn't have the coaches in place to help us do it. Whereas, you know, once I got down there, it was, it was, you know, there was someone on you every moment of the day to make sure you're doing the right things. So that, that was the difference in mentality that it, it did take me to the next level, 100%, uh, mentally, physically, and just you know, educationally, because I, was, I had to go to class. I had to stay in school. I had to do all the right things. Where as here, while it is getting a lot better now, um, that, that that intensity of, you know, focusing on football and focusing on education is just not
0: there. What did a, what did a typical um, practice week, getting ready for a game on Saturday, look for a uh, student athlete at South Alabama? Uh,
1: Monday, every day we had uh, 6 a.m. workouts, no matter what. So on one day it would be hard in the gym, light on the field. One day it would be super hard on the field, light in the gym. Uh, from there, it's afterwards we go straight to class, go home, shower, breakfast, get to class, after class, meetings, back to class, study hall, meetings, bed, all throughout the week. Repeat. Yeah. And by by morning workouts, it's it's workouts then practice. At night, we never practice at night. Mobile heat is way too hot, so we'd always practice. Our practice would be over by like 7:45 in the morning before really? the sun. Yeah, it was too hot. It was, you it know, was when, that hot? when we're talking like melting rubber on the field, like you could not practice past 830, nine o'clock, you would be burning. So we were we were always done our practices super early in the 9 morning. 9 a.m. Oh, yeah. Way before. Way before. Wow. When we were, were I'm talking like we'd be getting we'd be walking to the field. The sun wouldn't have started coming up. We'd, okay. be on, we'd be on the field. It'd be dark. And then by the end of practice, the sun would be starting to come up. OK. Um, just to avoid the heat. We had to. And so that we could make morning practices. All that kind of stuff so usually if it wasn't practice that day we'd be in the gym that day um it was always gym from five to i was in the gym from five in the morning to 6 6 15, 6. 15 to 6 30 get ready 6 30 on the field practice till i think 7 45 8 o'clock and then once that we're done we're inside quick meetings off the class and then Every day.
0: What was it like on a Friday? Like, was it like, was it the same schedule? Or like, was Friday just walk through? Well, Friday we would always, uh, Friday was great. We had a
1: great relationship with one of the finer hotels in the city. So we'd always take a nice bus to the hotel. Uh, We'd have like nice dinner meetings so you would
0: stay in a hotel even at home
1: yeah even at home we would travel downtown mobile uh just to get you away from campus you know get you away from you know the parties and kids going crazy and you know you're you're in dorms you're surrounded by people who are doing other things so it's just to kind of get us right get your head right um so we would stay in the hotel before every single game then saturday morning we're up up right and early whether the game was at two or doesn't matter we're up at eight o'clock breakfast meetings Uh, game plan in the bus to the field. And uh, that was it.
0: Walk us through like uh, a game day uh, going to, you know, not everyone uh, gets the chance and the opportunity to go D1, let alone start at quarterback. So what was it like uh, playing on Saturdays down south? And what was the atmosphere like at South Alabama? Uh, It was
1: it was awesome. I mean, when I went there, it was our first year. So my first year there was their inaugural season. So they they didn't have team. They had a team in the past. They got rid of it. And then my first year there is when they rebuilt the team. Okay. So they were expecting it to be quiet, nothing too big yet. Um, but the first game of the season we were there, we had, I think it was like 39,000 people in the stands, which was awesome. Um, being a Canadian there, at first, a lot of people thought I'd get like hassled or there'd be like a stigma. It was the complete opposite. We had like students in the student section, like singing the Canadian anthem. It was really? awesome. Yeah, they loved it. Um It was such a great atmosphere, you know, pulling up to the stadium, you know, in the bus. And it's like you see you see in college game day, you know, pull up and there's the fans all on the side. It's just yeah, they're just hype. It's there's so much support for football there that whether you're good or whether the team's bad, people still support you and it's because it's you know it goes it goes family religion football like that that's what it is and uh no matter what you're doing like people will support the football program and they they just love the, the ambiance they love being around it and i mean the reality is you you see it happening a little bit here now you know like university of montreal you know laval they they have these crazy they, they're fan having bases. some
0: they're having some crazy numbers and it, up in the thousands nuts. yeah it's not tens so, of thousands
1: yeah so the fact that that's happening here is, is awesome and even you know i remember playing you know vanier versus viremodel like we'd have like two three thousand people mm-hmm. in the stands you know so it is blowing up it's getting bigger here but it's just whatever you can imagine here just times it by 10
0: would that would that be like the biggest difference you think is just the fan base or just the atmosphere like what's like what's the big difference between uh down south and up here in canada
1: well from a fan perspective yeah obviously the yeah, numbers. There's, but yeah, like there's so many moving parts it's it's the it's the financial Commitment, commitment yeah. that a school places on football, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that, you know, coaches are making ridiculous money, which is a whole different story. But the amount of time and resources that they put into the program just changes the atmosphere. You know, when when you're forced to do these things because you're on a scholarship, you're going to get better because you don't want to lose your scholarship here. Kids aren't as invested because well, what, are, what are they playing for? Like if you're what are, what are you playing for here? You're playing OK for your school, but who's really supporting you? You know, the academics don't really support you. You know, the the fans aren't there. Your coaches aren't getting paid what they should be getting paid or they're not good enough to be getting paid what they should be getting paid. You know, that everything that surrounds football here needs to grow even more. Like we need to get, you know, better coaching. We need to get better strength programs. We need to get better gyms. We need to be, get better facilities. We need, there's a lot of things that we need to keep improving on. And by all means, don't get me wrong, there are some schools that are doing it great but there are some schools who are still like lacking behind that need to step their game up if they want to keep advancing the game of football.
0: In terms of uh, the speed of the game, like uh, you know, you came from Up and in my opinion, Sejap D1 is the best non-university ball in the country, yep. like without a doubt. Um, so what was it like adjusting to not only the smaller field, mm-hmm. um, one less guy, but what was it like uh, just from a speed perspective?
1: To be honest, speed was not that much different. I mean, when I tell you there are some amazing athletes here, they're, we are so comparable to them except for in the weight room when it comes to speed we're just as fast it's just strength it's a strength i mean we're talking about kids who are in the gym when they're 14. you Mm -hmm. know here it's starting but like when i was in cgf like you don't really hit in the gym until you're like 17 18. where you have kids who have been going to the gym since 14 you know getting bigger stronger we're just as fast we're on the field guys are flying just as fast but Obviously, the field being smaller is a huge, huge difference, which you, especially as a quarterback, you have to get used to. Um, But to be honest, athletically, guys here can ball with anybody down there. It's just, one, they're not being taught as well, and they're not hitting the gym as early. That's the biggest difference.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, no. So, yeah, we talked about this earlier, but you're like one of the one guys who has really been on every spectrum of level of playing. So what was it like? Um, or what were the major differences between CEGEP and CIS that you found? I know there was a two to three year gap in between there, but what were uh, the biggest things and uh, what translated and what didn't? Uh,
1: I mean, it wasn't that big of a difference. I mean, the fact that they go to three downs i still don't like it. i hate uh, it it's it's, it's brutal it. it's brutal i get it yeah prepare them for the cfl but let's be real you're not really drafting any of them anyways uh, i don't even like it in the so, cfl yeah well okay. yeah, f- who does um but the reality is like you you do it in the 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 defense behind it is like, oh we got to prep these guys for the cfl but reality is 90 percent of them aren't even getting into the cfl mm-hmm. but that's a whole different conversation but um to be honest uh, from cs CIS to uh from CJET to CIS it wasn't that big of a difference you know uh, because a lot of the guys who have stayed have have grown through CJET football so they've kind of grown with the game and they it's basically just going from like bantam to midget I personally I didn't see that much of a difference in it um unfortunately for me I was obviously I was in the OUA I wasn't playing in uh in the queue mm-hmm. uh where, you know, the stigma is the queue is a little bit bigger, faster, stronger Just because the yeah, just they have
0: the guys coming out of CESH. That's it.
1: So uh, I didn't get the opportunity to really play anybody here in the queue. But over uh, over in the OUA, I wouldn't say there was that much of a difference.
0: How was your time at York? Was it, you know, was it, was it fun? Good. Did you learn a lot? Uh, it
1: it was a great opportunity for me. Um, they they really helped me out. They you know they got me in school. They got me into a graduate program. They they helped me prepare for the CFL combine. They got me ready. You know they're the ones who got me into the combine. They they did a lot for me. It, it was a great experience. Um, it was a program that was struggling, is still struggling, but they're they're making moves. They're getting better and better every year. So I'm really happy for them. Um, I had a good time i had a good time uh without it who knows where i'd be right now so uh overall I, I, I have nothing negative to say about them uh i'm excited for them to just keep getting better and better and keep making moves that are going to develop that program because you know they used to be good back in the day they had a strong program and then they, they kind of fell off and it's time for them to really kind of catch back
0: up for sure i want to switch it over to this is something that i know you're a huge advocate for and um you know you represent Uh, So many quarterbacks and um, I want you to really dive into and share your opinion on the stigma of Canadian quarterbacks and uh, take all the time you need. I know you feel um, very heavily about this, but um, kind of explain it to people that wouldn't really know that and um, just kind of how you feel about it and kind of where that's going.
1: I mean, the that's the craziest part is that it used to be the stigma against quarterbacks. Now, to me, personally, it's a statement against the coaching that we're giving our quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. So now it, it has nothing to do with talent because I know I've, I have kids coming through here now who, you know, in the next few years, we're going to be seeing a lot of names get scholarships. Like the whole thing where you're saying now, like, like you're one of the first, like nobody's been doing it. It's like that that's going to be history in a long in very, very quickly. Just through this program now, um, through the QB movement, we have two guys who have gone division one guys who are already on their way we have kids with multiple that would
0: offers be, yeah that would be jack
1: jack jack who j- just left and as we we just saw uh christian veer who was one of my ottawa he, i call them my ottawa ogs they're one of my original quarterbacks um they he's got multiple offers like he's definitely he's going and so i'm super excited for him and obviously just through this program now we have like three or four guys discussing the clearinghouse getting ready to go and i'm super excited for them because they're going to have the opportunity to do what I did on an even bigger level. And I don't think it was a thing of of them as a quarterback. I think is they weren't getting the proper technique and fundamentals ready to prepare them to go compete against guys down South. So they were getting to camps and seeing these kids who were better than them, but they didn't know why. And it was just because mechanics were more fluid. You know, their feet were more solid. They were able to move more consistently and put the ball where it needed to be simply without having to, you know, overdress it and do all the little things that, that, you know, every coach has been telling them their whole lives. No, it's like they've been learning a certain fundamental their entire life and now they're applying it to their game, whereas kids didn't have that here. They are getting it from all different angles and now finally coming through me, I'm hoping that I'm instilling them a proper technique that will guide them for the rest of their careers.
0: You just touched on the fact uh, that, you know, two of your boys, um, you know, uh, one has already gone D1 and one is for sure going D1. Um, what's it like, uh, to see these guys, you know, you meet them in grade nine, 10, 11, uh, sometimes first year stage of, what's it like to see, um, you know, almost like one of your kids, um, f- through like a football aspect, um, you know, have success and, uh, go to the next level. It's, it's literally
1: why I got into it. It was the fact that I can see kids live out a dream experience that they, you know, especially now with social media, they see all these kids down south doing it. And it's like, why can't I do that? Mm-hmm. And so to see these kids, you know, have that opportunity and live something out that maybe they didn't think was possible last year. Now they're, you know, they're getting ready for it. It, it it's, it's amazing. It's the greatest feeling. And the fact that, you know, kids and parents will come in and trust me to help them get to that spot. And I'm not saying every kid will. And I tell them, I tell most kids that they probably won't. But if you have an opportunity and you have the chance, might as well take it. And the best thing is seeing, even if it's, you know, a kid going to university, you know, or a kid choosing CJEP this year, you know, getting recruited by a school that they wanted to go to. Like, it's a, it's such a great feeling. And, That's why that's the main reason why I didn't get into coaching. That's why I turned down, you know, offers to be, you know, quarterback coaches or OCs in different places, because this way I can impact as many kids as possible. Kids come through here from every different school, you know, all different regions. You know, I have kids coming from Quebec, Gatineau, uh, from Toronto, driving here, you know, just to come train and to see them flourish in their own environment back home. And then, you know, develop into a man, and develop into a player that they want to be is, is so gratifying and it's why I do it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I know, you know, when, uh, when we first met, I was, um, first year Vanyan. um, I want to dive into kind of the way you teach quarterbacks and your philosophy behind it. Because when I first came in, you know, I was, um, you know, I was D one stage up and I thought that, You know, I was at a point where my mechanics were, you know, where they needed to be. But, um, you know, we completely broke it down and completely restarted. Not from scratch, but um, we fixed in some things and uh, my football career was a little bit shorter than I thought. But I felt it when I was on the field. Mm So kind of talk about your philosophy and the way you teach it and um, just proper mechanics and kind of the advice to give to young kids who... Um, are struggling with, with their mechanics and um, you know you know we talk about phase one phase two all the mm-hmm. stuff you do so just kind of walk us through that
1: yeah well first of all you should still be playing uh, i still think you can and should be one of the best quarterbacks in CJF football right now. Look, but we'll, we'll not talk about that. We're
0: looking into it, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah.
1: All right. Um, but when it comes to mechanics, it's just it's learning over time. And the hard part is that so many kids will watch Tom Brady, they'll watch Aaron Rodgers, and they'll watch all these professional guys of the football and they'll try to emulate what they see there. But the reality is that these guys have been training for so long, their mechanics have developed so often so many different things over time have changed for them that they're now so comfortable with perfect mechanics that they can adapt their own little tweaks, you know, and their little mannerisms to how they throw the football. And if you just depending on
0: the route, depending depending on
1: on the route, the timing, you know, just being comfortable, you know, like some guys like a Deshaun Watson will hold the ball up in his chin, where an Aaron Rodgers will keep it really low under his sternum. When in fact, you got to keep it in the middle of both of those. Um, So it's, it's teaching kids, you know, perfect mechanics and, We're going to teach them how to be perfect so that once they understand how to be perfect, they can then start adopting their own technique into being perfect. And that's how you create your throwing mechanic. So you can't just say, like, I'm going to throw like him or I'm going to throw like him. No, you're going to throw perfectly. And then from there, you're going to make it your own. So the, the way I teach kids how to throw football, I don't throw like that at all. Like I wish I did. I was never taught about that. Yeah. I've, I've never been taught proper mechanics, but, you know, watching, you know, being around other great coaches and, you know, learning from, you know, the pros and learning, you know, over time through myself and, you know, the things I've seen is the best thing to do is, you know, teach them how to be perfect and then let them change how they want to be so that they can throw the ball like confidently and comfortably, but with solid mechanics. So we, we start them from scratch, like, we'll we'll teach you right from the base up, you know, whether, you know, everything from your foot through your hip all the way up to your shoulder, they all connect. So there's, it's yeah, making there's sure, so many things that exactly. go into
0: making the perfect spiral. Yeah.
1: So it's making sure that we're breaking down throwing mechanics. Not it's not your arm. We don't care about your arm. Your arm is the least important thing. It's, you know, making sure you're activating through your knee, activating through your hip, that you're trans you're transferring weight, you're transferring power through your body to get that ball to come out as easily as possible with power. You know, when you watch these professionals throw the football or you watch, you know, the really good quarterbacks, you know, right now in CJEP and and universities, when they throw the ball, it doesn't look like they're trying. And the reality is you cannot be trying hard to throw hard. You got to throw smooth. And so it's teaching kids how to just relax, be smooth, learn the fundamentals and then apply them to yourself. And then once you know how to do it, you know, my job's done, and now you just start, you know, getting more and more comfortable in your own mechanics and your own, you know, your your own little mannerisms that make you throw the football the way you throw the football.
0: This is something that um, I find interesting, and I kind of struggled with when I was coming up. Is you know, kids go through different coaches and they go through, um, you know, different people and different philosophies. So, what would you say, um, or what would you tell a kid that's kind of stuck in between two coaches, telling them one thing, uh, whether it's keeping the ball. Uh, low or keeping it up high or how you hold the ball or like, what would uh, be the best way to navigate, you know, getting opinion, but also, um, finding your own stroke.
1: Yeah. And that's something I deal with pretty much every day. Like, um, whether, you know, sometimes coaches are saying great things or they're saying the same thing that I'm saying just in a different way. Um, so many kids come in saying like, I, you know, like, obviously I respect my coach, but I respect you. I don't know what to do. And they come in always, you know, a torn what to do. And the reality is, is if a kid can spin it, and this is, this is like, I talked to a bunch of coaches down South all the time about is if the kid can spin it, let him throw it. If he, if he can throw a football and you know, his mechanics might be a little off. If he can spin it, let him spin it. But if a coach is showing him something that is hindering him, that is slowing him down, you have to step in and change things. And, you know unfortunately sometimes that does hurt the feelings of some other coaches or or you know like i've i've had phone calls with other coaches trying to you know explain to them why it's better for this kid to be throwing that way and some coaches are super on board they they appreciate the help they want to be involved and some you know get you know the, you know the pride the ego gets in a little bit um but at the end of the day what i tell my kids is look however you're comfortable throwing the football i'm like i told you i'm going to teach you perfect mechanics and then i want you to be comfortable If you're comfortable and that ball spinning out of your hand with good power, good velocity, good accuracy, then you keep it. If this coach is showing you something and you feel like you're getting more power from that, by all means, keep it. But as long as your accuracy, your consistency stays the same, you can do whatever you want. But if I see that because you're doing something, you know, you're losing those those key fundamentals, those non-negotiables of playing the football position, the football quarterback position, then we're going to have to change it. And the second they they do change it and you know the ball starts coming out better, they realize themselves. So, you know, a lot of times kids will come in and be like, Well, I was taught this, I was taught this. And I was like, Okay, do it. Now now do it this way. And you know, if the ball starts coming out better, not only did I Did they prove it to me? They proved it to themselves. So it's making sure that the kids understand. Like my biggest one of my biggest philosophies is making sure that the kids understand why they're doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So if if you know if a coach is telling you to do something, make sure you know why they're telling you. If they can't explain you why they're doing something, then they don't really understand what they're doing. You know, me, every time I break down any drill, any mechanic, any movement, I make sure they understand why they're doing it, what it's activating, what it's changing, you know, what it's going to help them with. And if they can't actually see, you know, the positives from that, we break it down again and we keep showing them so that when they leave, when they leave this, the you know, this facility here and they go somewhere, if someone asks them a question about it, they can explain it just as well as I can. So that that's that's the way I coach. Uh, so far, it, it's it's worked out pretty well. Um, you know, I've I've had a couple kids come in um, with terrible mechanics who have fixed things who have gotten really good. I've had kids come in with perfect mechanics, and we just keep them the same. You know, if if you're good, if you can spin it, we're going to keep you and just you know work on the things that you need to you need to get better.
0: You said that um, the way you throw is not uh, how you teach kids to throw. No. So where was it? Uh, where did you adopt that um, that philosophy of throwing? and kind of where did you draw inspiration from it was there a specific coach was there an instagram page was there a book was where did you where did you learn to teach quarterbacks proper mechanics
1: uh i base most of my my movement off of drew brees drew brees has probably the most perfect throwing mechanics you can find he is he is perfect from every aspect of throwing. Um, He has to be because he can't short arm it because he's short. Um, He has to get full power because he's not the biggest guy. He does everything almost to the T of how you want to teach a kid. And then if you look at a guy like, like Brady or Rogers, they basically do exactly what he does, but have their own little mannerisms, how they change you know, how they throw. So uh, when I started studying, you know, throwing mechanics, I based it a lot off of Drew Brees, um, breaking down his film, breaking down, you know, videos from, you know, when he was playing at Purdue, how he threw in Purdue and how he's adopted, you know, a new throwing mechanic through the NFL. I started looking at that. And then I started looking up, you know, who were his quarterback coaches? And I started looking at, you know, what are they doing now? Where are they? Um, who are they training? Who, like, where are they going now? And from that, you know, I read, I have like, countless quarterback books that I that I look through and read. I'm always on YouTube looking at as many videos as I can just to and to be honest, most of them are terrible. But it's looking at what they're doing bad and saying, you know, how can we fix it? Um, Just from my own personal experience, I had to while I was getting ready for the CFL combine and, you know, prepping for tryouts, is I knew my mechanics weren't solid. So I started changing my own. And then I wish I knew now what I wish I knew then what I know now, because even from then I've, I've adopted and I've changed everything. So when it comes to proper mechanics, it's it's looking not only what is smooth, but it's what's biomechanically bio correct. How, how do we transfer weight? How do we, how do we push force through the ground into our hip? So it, you know, sitting, you know, in the facility, just throwing over and over and over with my partners or, you know, watching great quarterbacks and how, you know, how do they internally rotate their knee? How are they driving their hip? You know, where, where, where's their pelvic, you know, their pelvis finishing when they finish a the throw? Where's their center of gravity? Where's their balance? Looking at all those things so that I can then adopt them to myself and then try and show my kids. But when I'm just throwing naturally, like if I film myself, I could correct myself for hours, just because there, there's things that I wish I could do that I just can't.
0: Well, so you spoke about Drew Brees and how his motion changed, and um, you know we brought up Aaron Rodgers, and if you look at Aaron Rodgers at Cal, he's high and tight, yeah. and the ball is sticking out, and now it's uh, it's down, it's you know it's below his sternum. So when do you think, or you know uh, you know maybe there's not even a time when do you think it's too late uh, to change your mechanics?
1: I don't think it's ever too late. Obviously, if you're getting into the professional game, you got there because you like I said, you know how to spin it. Back in the day when when Aaron Rodgers was at Cal, that was the that was the way to play quarterback. Ball high point it out up by your chin you know just get the ball up get it out whereas nowadays we we've developed we, we understand more about how we can you know drive ground force through the football and for aaron Rodgers, that's why he put it low you know he his arm barely goes high anymore like, you know he drives it next to his head next to his ear and which is now becoming a new throwing mechanic uh that people are starting to use more and more um but it's never it's never too late to change your mechanics if you're ready to put the work in it's it's muscle memory so even for me obviously i haven't fully changed but like i've adopted things that i've I, I teach my kids now because when you once you do something over and over and over again it, it's muscle memory so if you think you know you know you're in your last year CJEP and you think your mechanics aren't as good as you know The guys going to university don't use that as, you know, like kryptonite that you're saying like, well, it's too late. I can't, I can't change. You can change whenever you want. If you're ready to put in the work, it's all about muscle memory and making sure that, you know, you're, you're, you're teaching your shoulder, you're teaching your elbow to drive back in the same motion over and over and over again. So you can adopt it when it comes full speed.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I you know I want to give you the stage right now, and I just want you to really dive in and explain first team and the vision and the future, because you know we're sitting here and, um you know at Pro Jam in this facility, and um you know this is something that needs to be everywhere in Canada, and you guys um, are you know the kind of the first in the city to kind of um you know start like this new wave of training and this new uh, wave with first team. So just kind of dive in and explain to people that don't know about first team uh, exactly yeah. what you do here and uh, your goal.
1: Well, our goal is to run. We we run run camps. We run run efficient, positive camps for kids. You know you can ask anybody who grew up, you know, in my time. And even now that there are so many camps out there that are just not doing the right things, whether it's a money grab, whether, you know, the coaching isn't quality it's kids are going to these camps and they're not learning. They're doing, they're doing drills that are just drills to, you know, pass the time it's, we wanted to start something where kids would come in and make sure that every moment they're here, they're learning, you know, the way we run our camps, the way we run our practices, our, our drills, everything is, is, done by the book it's on a clock it's by a timer is there's no breaks there's no water you know I base the way we run our workouts and our practices in our camps the way that I went through spring camp down south whereas there is there's no stopping there's no talking there's no there's no messing around it's it's work you're here for the time you're here put in the right work. So our goal is to, you know, give that opportunity to kids to come in and make sure that they're taking advantage of every opportunity, every moment they have playing the sport. So if you come in here and, you know, you want to work, well, we're going to teach you how to work properly. So whether, you know, whether it's combine prep, whether it's, you know, positional training, whether it's strength training, it's giving you the experience that, you know, I've experienced that, you know, my partner Jamal's experienced down South, that you get the best out of you. We want to make sure that, you know, when people think of, you know, Montreal sports, you know, we want to be that 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 name that comes up, you know, like if you want to get better, you come here. There's, there's a lot of guys in the game doing it. There's some really good coaches out there. Um, there's some guys that I have tremendous respect for that are doing it here um, that are doing great things. And we want to be just like them, but we want to keep pushing the level up and up. So if we keep pushing it up, they're going to have to push it up. And the better we all get, the better the kids get, the better football here in Quebec gets, and the more kids we can send down south to represent us.
0: 100%. The way we like to end each episode, we take uh, three to four questions. We got a little bit of time, so we might do a little bit more, but okay. um, we like to end with a Q&A. And the first one we got, um, this one's um, – I really like this one because I think um, I can weigh in here too, but – uh, the question was, do you find there's a big difference between throwing an American ball versus a Canadian ball? And uh, how does that change the game in terms of uh, velocity, uh, trajectory, ball placement? Yeah. Do you think there's a big deal? Uh, yeah. Sorry, do you think there's a big difference?
1: Yeah. If you talk to any any quarterback that has thrown a Canadian football and an American football, you know there's a difference. That's
0: a, You know what? It's something that I don't know if that's like a thing, um, you know. Um, for guys in the states to like to throw a Canadian ball, I, I don't know if they've ever been introduced to it, but I feel like it'd be a really like funny YouTube video to just it's, see uh, how they feel because it's it's completely different.
1: It's well, one for the people who don't know, it is a very smaller football. Yep. it is a lot smaller. It's a lot sleeker. It's more pointy, whereas a Canadian football, it's fat. And uh, we actually have a, a CIS football and a CJF football in here that I'll show you after the the CFL football is actually even fatter than the CIS football. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. CFL. it's huge 100%. And they're the it's like I think these it's big even, balloons.
0: it's fatter, it's not longer than the NFL ball, but it's, it's much fatter, fatter yeah. than the CFL ball. Yeah. And that's why you see, like, I was actually just talking uh, to somebody about it today. Like, you know, when you're watching a CFL game, like, it's very rare that you see a tight spiral.
1: And to be honest, if you actually watch the NFL, you'd be surprised at how little tight spirals there are too. But But because it's because of
0: the white stripes. Exactly.
1: Because there's no white stripe on the ball, you actually lose it. But if you watch NFL films, you watch those slow-mo clips, 90% of the time they're not spirals. But they were smart. They took the lines off. So it always looks like it's coming in hot. Um but yeah, I I encourage like all my guys who, you know, are planning to go the NCAA. I usually tell them to buy a GST, the Wilson GST. Uh they all throw it. They all have it just to make sure they're ready because it is a difference. And when you get down there, it will it will change the way you you have to you know release the football and you know the amount of force you can put behind the ball because it, it everything changes the aerodynamics of the football change um so yeah it it is completely different if you've never if you've never held both balls no pun intended if you've never held an american and a canadian football try it because you will be surprised at how different it is
0: yeah for sure no it's completely different and just like the way you know like when you go because, uh, you know, we train with an F2000. So, yeah. but when you go from an F2000, you know, whether it's when you're training and, um, you know, uh, like the next rep, you got like an NCAA ball, it's completely different. And yeah. like, y- you can just sling that sucker.
1: Oh, yeah. It's like I compare it to a Nerf ball. If you, yeah. if you ever throw one of those beach Nerf balls, it's, yeah, like, exactly. it's like throwing one of those. It's, exactly. it's amazing. I I can't wait till the day that we adopt it uh, over here. I'm hoping it comes sooner than later because it will 100% help our kids get down south yeah no without a doubt having that ball here I'm telling you kids will throw for more yards you know their their accuracy their consistency will be a lot better because they'll have an easier time gripping the football like i've I've 13 you know 13 14 year olds that I'm already doing grip strength with so that they're prepared to you know grip that big ball mm-hmm. um if, if you don't have good grip strength or your hands aren't huge, you know, you're, you're going to lose that football. And, you know, that I know you've done it before. I've done it before where you try to throw that football and just slips out the back of your hand. It's the worst. It's a common thing here. It's it happens all the time.
0: We, uh, we asked the next question uh, to Coach Nathan Taylor on our first episode. And, um, you know, we don't like to repeat questions, but it's just such a good question. And it actually came up again. And, um, you know, being a quarterback uh, coach and a former quarterback, uh, I want to know kind of um, your thoughts on seven on seven. Uh, it's not something we've like really, really been um, introduced to in Canada, but there are teams obviously that, yeah. um, you know, that are formed up here that go down south and do well. Um, do you think it helps? Do you think uh, it translates? And uh, kind of what are your thoughts on that?
1: It's crazy. I just had I've had multiple kids ask me recently because seven on seven is about to start. Um and like you said it, it's growing here i've never been involved with it i don't know so when a kid asked me i said i to be honest i would love to give you an answer but i don't know mm-hmm. so i actually reached out to about four or five qb coaches i know down south and i asked them that question i literally said like is seven on seven my kids want to do it is it worth it This not and, and they actually came back with the same answers i had in my head whereas um it, seven on seven is a great place to sling a football. If you want to go out, you want to read get some reps. And- you know, read some coverages on a smaller field. That's great, but the reality is, it is it does encourage bad habits. It yeah. encourages you know a you know a quicker release without proper mechanics. Mm-hmm. You're not taking the right drop back footwork, and at the end of the day, um, me and you know all the guys I spoke to were on the same page. whereas recruiters are not looking for quarterbacks in seven on seven. You know, seven on seven is a great place for athletes to just go and dominate and make a name for themselves, but. You, you are not seeing a lot of quarterbacks being recruited out of seven. on seven. That
0: was, Yeah, that was actually the second part to the question. I forgot yeah. to ask you that. But so, um, you know, you kind of already answered it, but it doesn't help with scholarships, do you think?
1: I, I'm never going to tell a kid it doesn't help because mm-hmm. you never know who's watching. You mm-hmm. don't know who if you, you know, you could sling that ball and some coach, you could catch someone's eye. But from a personal standpoint, from the people I've spoken to, it is not a consistent recruiting tool. Like you're not seeing a lot of guys gaining scholarships from seven on seven. The guys who are getting more scholarships already had them or they've already been seen. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of kids are, you know, what I tell my guys is, you know, go have fun. It's great. It's a it's a great competition environment. But don't go in there with the mentality that you're going there to get scouted. You're going there to get recruited. And if you don't, you're disappointed. Um, If you do, then that'd be amazing. I would love for it. Like if, if, you know, if you go down there, you get recruited, I I would use that to feed into that seven on seven, but it's just, it's not happening often enough or consistently enough to, for me to really support saying, you know what, uh, skip a spring camp or skip, you know, skip three weeks of training, you know, here to go do that um so personally at this this moment in time right now i'm not a huge advocate for it uh i think it's fun if you want to go compete have some fun but if you have to make sure you're going in with the right mentality
0: the third question we got was uh we already kind of touched on it a little bit but i want to dive into it just a little bit more um it's kind of a two-parter first part is who were the quarterbacks when you were coming up that you really looked up to and uh tried to mimic and tried to uh you know adjust your game to how they play and who are three to five quarterbacks right now that you would tell the younger generation to look at whether it would be in college uh in the NFL um CFL RSEQ mm-hmm. um you know what would be uh the three guys that you looked um you know that you looked up to and the three guys that kids should look up to and try and mimic uh me growing up I started playing
1: football cuz I saw Brett Favre you know the classic gunslinger um, Growing up, I based a lot of my playing around him because he just always looked like he was having so much fun. Like, just like him, I threw a lot of picks. I threw a lot of touchdowns too, but um, I had a lot of fun just playing the game. Like, I wasn't a very conventional quarterback. Like, any guys who played against me or, or knew me knew I was, you know, I was a big runner. Um, you I could made, run or throw. I could make, yeah. I made a lot of plays outside of the pocket, um, which is something, you know, it was great for me, but it also killed me a lot. So, a lot of my guys now, I, I really try and keep them in the pocket because that's where the game is nowadays. Um, I, I looked up huge to Brett Favre, but besides besides that, like me growing up, like I was a huge Warren Moon fan. Um, just the, you know the the adversity he came, you know he came through, and you know the things that he was able to do in both the CFL and the NFL, Very true, um, yeah. which was insane. Like uh, he, he's a role model for anybody. If you if you haven't looked up the story of Warren Moon, definitely do it. Um, Not
0: only that now he's an extremely successful businessman too. Yeah, so mm-hmm. he's had a long long life and uh, a lot of experiences for sure
1: yeah and definitely uh besides that like me growing up it was uh i mean if he listens to this it'd be great his name is sean diner he uh, ended up being a receiver at the university of new hampshire and he was just such a great role model for me and i base a lot of what i do now where did he play he played uh it was when I was a little guy, he was playing at the Chamity Blues, and he played at Vanier afterwards as a quarterback. And then he went down south of a receiver to uh, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. He played for the Owls for two years, I think, as a receiver. Okay. But it's just he had such a, a kind mentality, you know, for mentoring and being moral support for, you know, the younger athletes, which I kind of adopted growing up where I was always trying to help little guys under me you know saying telling them you know giving them encouraging words trying to help them during practice this and that so uh he was definitely a great role model for me um and if you look nowadays um one of the one of the biggest things like i started teaching kids now is like look at the new age quarterbacks coming through and like obviously yeah every kid wants to be like tom brady aaron Rodgers, but you know a guy like josh allen i base a lot of my mechanics off of He just because he gets so
0: much power he's out of so and
1: it's not because he's a huge guy obviously that helps but he's so good at the small things you know like knee knee rotation and hip activation that he's when i talk about the lower body mechanics i i use him for a lot so if you're okay. trying to look at someone who who can really drive the ball and really knows how to you know ground up Power. Um, he's a great example for that. Um, obviously, Drew Brees. If you want to, you know, start learning proper throwing mechanics, if you're gonna watch anybody watch him. Uh, any other quarterback you see doing something is a version of what he does. You know, he will show you how to do it perfectly. Any other guy you watch is just doing different uh versions of what he's doing. Um and beside, and you know, obviously if you look locally, Now it's getting to the point where, you know, there's a lot of guys you can look up to, Uh, you know, like there's, there's guys like, you know, like a Jack who's leaving, who has, you know, probably one of the most naturally gifted arms I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, You look at guys, you know, like coming through, you know, like the Jonathan Senecalis who's like, you know, he's that dual threat athlete that everybody wants to be like. There's a lot of guys here that you can look up to. He slings Um, it. Man, he's got a nice stroke. Yeah, he can sling it. He can sling it. There's there's a lot of kids. There's a lot of guys who can sling it now. And that, that's, that's the best part is that, coming out now there are so many good kids you know like when i was playing like you know two or three schools had like really good quarterbacks not anymore now there's so many especially just coming through this program like next year and the year after they're gonna be so many crazy recruits to go into cjet football like cjet football is about to get a lot better like just the amount of good quarterbacks that are coming up that i've personally witnessed um you know like now it's 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 no longer a new experience there's it's not one good quarterback on every team we're talking like some some teams have four like fide starting quarterbacks that mm. are just waiting their turn which is insane which is such a good thing for football um but, you know, you can look locally, you know, even if you look at, you know, I had the, I had the opportunity to train with uh Montreal Alouette quarterbacks, and you know, a guy like Vernon Adams is is such a good role model, and man, the boy can sling it like he's such a good guy, and he, you know, he helps the community a lot, so he's a guy you can definitely look up to. Antonio Pipkin is, you know, he's got one of these strongest strokes I've seen ever, and it's so smooth. Like, there are he's got, guys, he's got
0: long arms, oh, yeah. man, he's man, a I huge, love the way he but, throws. Yeah.
1: He, uh, like all these guys, and even you know, even um. Uh, Matt Schiltz like all these guys are they're really solid in their mechanics like a lot of people think you know like oh CFL quarterbacks aren't that good like no these guys can ball and you know these guys are ready they could they could play in both leagues and it's you know it's whether they're getting a shot or not so even locally looking at the pros like there are some guys that we can start looking up to that we can really you know you know, want to be like and strive to be like. So you don't always have to look at the NFL for a role model. You can look whether it's here. You know, looking a little older at the kids in CJ or University Ball, or whether it's CFL. There's there's a lot of good guys out there to you know base base your impressions off of.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's yeah, that's where we're gonna end it. We're running out of time here, and um, you know, just on my end, if there's any quarterbacks out there that are looking to train, uh, come here, come to first team, come to the QB movement. Um, you know, I've I've worked with Miles for the past what it's what it has been now a year and a half two yeah, years, years? and i swear by him i love what he's teaching and there's the reason why every quarterback in the queue comes here if you're not already following him on instagram it's at the qb movement yeah. uh, at first team the first i is a one and um obviously where we are right now is uh pro gym montreal so that'll be at pro gym montreal and um miles keep doing what you're doing keep training appreciate keep it, shifting man. the culture and uh yeah. we got some we got some big plans coming up between there's first some, team player recognition, so, things, so everyone things. stay tuned for that and uh Thanks for uh, tuning in, and we'll see you uh, next time on Under the Lights presented by Play Recognition. To join the next wave of recruiting, visit us at www.playrecognition.com. Player Recognition is an online athletic recruiting platform geared towards providing Canadian student-athletes with more recruiting opportunities using our verified profile and statistics system. Our verified profile-based platform gives coaches all the relevant information needed during the recruiting process. I'm Brett Mazov, co-founder of Player Recognition. Thank you for listening. Share this episode to a teammate that needs to hear it, and we'll see you next time on Under the Lights.